Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. Show is always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide. New York Times best-selling podcaster, <laughs> and I'm here tonight. We're super lucky because co-hosting the show tonight is longtime friend of the show, our co- correspondent from Australia, Luke Chamings from Shamro's Lure. And Luke, it's been a long time. How are you? Oh, going all right, my old mate. It's uh, great to be back on the show, and um, g'day to all the uh, listeners out there. I've missed yous. Well, they've missed you too. And since last time you were on, Luke, I'm going to be honest, we only were getting about 200 people a month listening to the show. And now we're getting, you know, about 3,000 per week. So it's grown quite a bit. So a lot of our our listeners don't know who you are anymore. So we got a a lot to catch up on. So first of all, let's do some background. Uh, We'll do some background on you. Then we're going to jump into... um, Fantastic. All right, so Luke, first of all, who are you? Why the hell are you on my show? Right. <laughs> Many years ago, um, Back we in the connected. Day. I, I can't remember how even, but we connected we, when um, it was you and Dave, and mm-hmm. um, we made a bit of a connection uh, through my lures. I do um, handmade timber lures down here. And, um, yeah, just through the wide web, we, we made a connection, and um, – we hit it off, and um, yeah, so uh, that's how the uh, fish nerds thing started. The lure thing, I just got sick of losing them and decided to start making a couple myself, and that went from a hobby to a paid hobby to now I sponsor major comps and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's just amazing um, how far a little piece of wood on the ground of my joiner shop has taken me, but um yeah, we've uh, pushed along. We're still making them. We're still in a few shops. We still sell them overseas occasionally. Um, yeah, it's it, it has led to a myriad of things that I just never thought would be possible. So um, yeah, I'm just thankful for you, blokes, and um, and everyone else who's ever bought a lure or shown any interest in Chamo's lures. Yeah, and they're really beautiful lures. They're hand-carved. They're stunning. If you go to the show notes on our website, you'll see photos of them, and uh, or you can go look for Shamo's Lures on Facebook, and you can see the work that Luke's got. Yes, going. by all means, come onto the page and have a look, and um, have a peruse, and see what you see what takes your fancy. Yeah, and we uh, do everything. We do from tiny flies right up to um, three hundred and well, half a foot, a foot long cod lures, and um, which would be you know. Um, comp- Comparable to, um, say, your big, your biggest musky pike lures and stuff like that over there. Um, yeah, we. I've noticed that you've got the lead-free fisherman, uh, John King. Yeah, crappy happy. Yeah, yeah. So he's um, leaning towards the lead-free fishing, and I'm sort of taking a bit of a, a leaf out of his book recently, and we're starting to use a lot more glass-bodied um, for our inline spinners. So um, basically, I just go around the arts and craft shops like a hippie <laughs> and um, sniff around for their glass beads. You'd be amazed how many glass beads look like bugs. Oh, it's, it's not that shocking. When you go look at them, like, it's amazing. 
It is, it is. And some of them, and they seem to work as well, if not better. I don't know if it's uh, being partly translucent or um, or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, or the, um, uh, the weight of them. I mean, uh, density. whether it's the... Yeah. Yeah, density, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, Clay. Um, yeah, I think that may have a little bit to do with it too um, because there's not too many I make which don't work well. And, um, yeah, so I'm starting very much to lean towards that and for the environmental reasons, of course, um, you know, well, you less lead want, in the water. Yeah, and you kind of want both. I mean, it doesn't do you any good to go lead-free if the lures you're using don't catch fish. Yes, so exactly you, you, right. You need, you need both to do, do the game. And uh, your fish you're fishing for down there a lot with your inline spinners, you're getting readies, right? Yes. And, yeah. well, <laughs> I've um, you're not. since proven, I've proven so um, what you would call yellow perch. We call them redfin over here. So they're an English perch. I think they're a subspecies mm-hmm. of your yellow perch. They get a lot um, bigger. If, they get a lot bigger. Yeah, your readies get huge. Huge. Yes, we get, you know, six, five, six pounders um, reasonably regularly. The other day I caught one half a metre long. So what's that? A, f- a foot and a half? Eight inches? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was huge. Yeah. It was the biggest <laughs> one I've ever caught. And um, I was just flabbergasted. But um, we've been catching um, Australian nate because they're not a native fish to Australia. They're a, um, actually a noxious species. And um, you're not to return them to the water, et cetera, et cetera, which suits me fine because they are the best table fish freshwater producers. They are a stunning fish to eat. Um, Their meat is super white, super firm, and, um, yeah, they're just a fantastic resource out there that um, people in the know, you know, um, they fish for them religiously, Um but, um, you know, other people tend to just look at them as a pest species. But um, they are fantastic table fish. They really are. So let me but ask what, you – hang on, Look, Let me ask you, first of all, how do you cook a red a redfin? Well, what I do is I fillet them. They are notoriously hard scales. Mm-hmm. So I fillet and skin. Now, there's a secret to this. <laughs> you have iced <laughs> – you have iced brine – um, sort of a solution, if you want to say it. So um, just iced water, lots of salt. People say, well, why would you add salt? Why don't you just eat um, a saltwater fish? But it doesn't work like that. It actually works in reverse. The salt um, leaches any impurities from the meat, if if at all there isn't, is any. There usually isn't with these fish. They are such a clean fish. But you so you get a salty iced brine mixture in your Thing, fillet and skin your fillets, bone them obviously. They don't have a great deal of bone, so they're quite easy to fillet. Um, throw them in this iced salty mix for a few hours and then um, if you're going to freeze them, freeze them in that mix or, um, or just eat them as, as, you, as you feel. And um, this is the trick. It sets the meat um, beautifully it just goes really firm and really white pretty much instantly and um and like i said i describe them as inland whiting Mm -hmm. now over here whiting is a sea fish which everyone absolutely raves over which is a bit of an issue because um they do get targeted quite heavily and um i've always 
and um, I've always commented on redfin as being inland whiting, the the equivalent of so um, you know try and ease the pressure on these um so heavily targeted fish in the sea by um getting people to fish in the freshwater for a fish that is equally as good. And and um, what's your what's your favorite way to cook them? You know, you fillet them, you chill them, you so we chill them yeah. and they're firm, they're ready. Breadcrumbs, egg and breadcrumb. Simple. Can't go wrong. Just Beautiful. Absolutely fantastic fish to eat. And um, like I said, I've tricked many a person that have come around for tea. To, I only eat whiting. Oh, well, you're in luck today, mate, because we've got inland whiting. And then you see them sort of, mm, never heard of that. But anyway, and at the end of it, they go, oh, wow, they were so nice. They were this, they were that. And then I show them a picture. So that's what you ate. Oh, that's amazing. So, you know, um, it's perception. It's always everything. Well, you know that as well as I do with fish. You know, I know Americans, uh, the English, probably Australians aren't any different. There's about four different species of fish that people want to eat. And to get them to do anything different is, it seems impossible sometimes. Yes. Well, we've just, um, just going on a slight tangent here, which is unusual for me, but, um, (laughs) we, um, have a snapper ban at the moment in South Australian waters. Three years, you can't fish for these snapper, and um, and they're much the same. Everyone's got to get one. Everyone's got to have one. They're quite a large fish, but they're a dry meat, and most people catch them and then freeze them as is, whole in their freezer. And six months later, they're still in the freezer, drying and drying and drying. Mm. And then when they get them out and bake them which I find the most hideous way to cook any fish. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just a massive, big, dry lump of, you know, poop and, um, and it's just a waste of a beautiful big fish that could have been out in the ocean. So um, with the declining numbers and the um, egg counts were horrendously down, I think 80% down on previous years, um, They've decided to you're not allowed to fish for them, and that's it for three years. This has caused untold heartache to the mainly sea fishermen, um, and uh, yeah. So, um, but like we say, there's other fish out there, and you need to open your eyes a little wider and your palate. Absolutely, and you know, to actually, honestly, be honest, they don't taste. <laughs> Like there's not a huge variation in fish tastes anyway. <laughs> I don't think so either. I yeah. think it's a load of crap. I really do. I mean, the, the fish is fit. Like I said, I can crumb up a heap of redfin, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I can sell it off as anything. I they would not have a clue. Well, you have you have like different classes of fish. So like you have like your your tunas and mackerels, right? To have a distinct yeah. flavor. But if you yeah, redfin, bluefin, yellowfin, mackerel. You could lie to people yep. all day. They wouldn't know the difference. And then you have like your blue fishes and that sort of thing. And then, and then you get into your salmons, which all have a different, you know. Yes. No, but I mean, it's that a, different. It's not dramatic. But most of your white fish, no, your flaky I mean, white fish, or is flaky white fish. Who cares? Exactly right. So, um, um, your blood fish, tuna, salmon, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, they're a bit of a distinctive taste. But they're also a bit of an acquired taste. You know, not everyone rushes out to eat tuna. And we're having the same issue with tuna. Tuna come in quite close to our coasts and they get quite large, southern bluefin and yellowtail ones and that. And, um, of course, 
Now, they've dropped the, um, I think it's one or two fish a day per fisherman. Don't hold me to that. But, um, and of course, people were whinging, oh, it used to be three or five or whatever. It's like, who can eat five tuna? No way. I mean, they're massive. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and the same thing happens. They end up in a freezer and they get whipped out at parties to show, oh, look what I caught six months ago. And you say, and it's just, it's just a waste. So um, there's a mob out there called Tuna Champions. And they are teaching people to look after their fish better, ice them instantly. If you're going to keep them, fill their um, gut cavity with ice, pull out their um, gills and gut and everything and treat them with some respect, either dead or alive. Simple as that. Simple as that. All right. So how is, uh, let me ask you about, because we're right now in the United States, we're just buried with this coronavirus thing right now. And yeah. we're just in the big shutdown mode, right? Yep. There's not very following suit. You're following suit. So I'm, I'm like getting in the brain space of where I think I'm going to be able to be starting to fish for sustainability because we're going to be locked down and I don't want to go to the grocery store. So how are you guys doing with that down there? Yes, this is, um, there's been quite a few posts put up on social media of people out getting whiting, of mm-hmm. all things, of course, and, um, and you know, I'm not going to the supermarket, I'm going to self-sustain and I'm mm-hmm. going to this and I'm going to that. And, um, yeah, that, that's great and more people and more power to them and more people should do it. I mean, I put up a bit of a post the other day about um, – the crap going on in the supermarkets, the panic buying. I don't know about you, but everyone over here is buying shit house paper. Oh, and same. I mean, everywhere, yeah. worldwide. Yeah. Isn't that the most insane <laughs> pattern of thought? My God, like, surely you've got to have food to need poo paper. <laughs> you know, wouldn't you go and get food first, then put paper? I mean, it, it's yeah. ridiculous. Well, i got to be but, honest, um, though. Like, I went to the supermarket the other day. And I have, we got a case, we, we, we order online, we get recycled toilet paper online from uh, the company's called Who Gives a Crap. So we get a case every couple of months anyway. So we happened to get a case in the mail a couple of days ago. So two days ago, I went to the supermarket, shelves are picked clean, except there's, yep. there's, there's one, like six pack of toilet paper, and it's the only one left. I had the urge to buy it. Like, I didn't need it. I didn't buy it, by the way. But the urge was there. I felt yep. if. That 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 fear of what if I don't get it, you know? Or, or it's almost peer group pressure too. Like we've had people, and I swear to God, fighting, fist fighting, mind you, over toilet paper. Oh, I think you should go back and, to calling it shit house paper. I think that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shit house paper blues, but punching on over book paper. Oh, I mean, shit. one, how how embarrassing, and two, imagine if you lost. You lost a fight over toilet paper. Oh, how'd you get your black eye chemo? Oh, well, I got into it blue over a bloody, you know, a bog roll and boom. It's just ridiculous. It is absolutely mind-blowingly insane. And um, it's just a really sad um, snapshot of society today, I think. Well, you know, we've we've been a long time since we've really felt that need to like take care of our own and like lock down yeah. in our houses. We have hasn't we've been in a, in a period of relative peace for so long. Yeah, and you know I'm glad it's not a war that's making people do this. I'm glad it's a disease. I, I'm not happy it's a disease either, but it's yeah. I, you don't blame anybody. It's just this is something that's happening. No. 
No, exactly right. You can't be pointing a finger at too many people. I feel sorry for um, the Asian communities. They do tend to get fingered with this a lot, um, and it's happening over here too. We we did a story last week on that. We talked about how the Tasmanian fish market's collapsing because they were selling to Chinese restaurants, and in Australia, people are going, I'm not eating at Chinese restaurants because... Chinese and it's racist and, um, and, and, it, and it's got bigger than that. It, the um, the crayfish industry pretty much collapsed overnight because our number one export market is China. Oh yeah, they shut down. So, so and they're ass over it now. They're 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 all you know either shutting up shop or and the amount of people getting sacked and laid off. It it, it truly is horrendous. Just touching on the. Um, we're not at war, but we're at war with a disease sort of thing. I was sitting next to a lovely old English gentleman the other day mm. in the supermarket, mm-hmm. and he was watching these people squabbling and carrying on, and he leaned over to me and he said, they've got no idea, have they, young fella? And I said, oh, well, no one could be called young. And um, <laughs> he, he said, I grew up in World War Two in England with the rations. We went without and everyone pulled together mm-hmm. for a common cause, that common enemy. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes, and I look at these people today and I just think, what what has changed? What has changed? Mm. So um, he made a brilliant point, and um, yeah, it was yeah, like I said, he just made a fantastic point. You need to pull together in times of um, stress or you know communal stress or whatever. We and I'm not saying people aren't. There's loads of good people out there doing the mm-hmm. right thing, but unfortunately, there's loads of people out there not doing the right thing, and that's the issue. Well, they really were. They're going to get stuck with loads in their pants, so that's why they have to buy all that toilet yes. paper. <laughs> I mean, toilet paper. I know. Let's well, talk it's about it, putting the cart before the horse. Jesus right. Christ! If you you got to eat the pork, surely. Yeah. It's, well, it's a false shortage anyway. It's it's a bubble in demand. There's plenty of there's plenty of toilet paper in the warehouses. People are just buying yes. it fast and they get it on the shelf. So if they just wait, yeah. they'll be fine. <laughs> We all call right. them sheeple. Sheeple, yeah, and we all and we all fall into that once in a while. We can't help ourselves. Yes, we do. Yep. And we may be we may be victims of that with this whole thing too. But hopefully, the best case scenario is in a year we're looking back and going, "Holy shit, we overreacted to that disease." Oh, yeah, overreaction, the, gee whiz! Yeah, it really is. I mean, don't get me wrong; it is a little scary. Yeah. Um, considering the amount of uh, infections that are happening every day and the numbers are growing. But, um, you know, we've just got to be rational about the way we um, treat these things. We do. But the best measure is in a year we're complaining about overreacting, not complaining about how many extra people died. So better to yes. overreact and save a few lives. Yes. Like, like I lost my job. I'm a bartender. And I'm, I'm not bartending right now. Yeah. And I have to be in the brain space. Like hopefully me not going and earning that money is saving someone else's life. Like, I have to think that it's helping someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, you're right. And, you, yeah. you know, uh, you're the type of bloke to think like that. That just yeah. comes natural to you. But um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that don't think mm-hmm. that and they just think of themselves. And uh, so we've got old people um, getting um, designated certain times they can go shopping because everyone else is in there going crazy and the oldies are getting left out. Mm-hmm. So they've designated specific times for them to go shopping. Of course, they get there, the shops are bare. Yeah, that's happening here too. It's just starting to happen. So it's going to be okay. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll get through it. So 
on other topics, fishing people. <laughs> yeah, just take a break. Yeah, if you're on a boat with just one other person, you're in a low risk uh, activity. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So right now, I'm actually super happy because we have a our biggest sponsor of the podcast yet, and these sponsors are really important to us because they help uh, keep wind in our sails, keep uh, gas in our tanks, and keep this pirate ship moving forward. And so right now, we're being sponsored by a shoe company called. Alukai, and I'm going to read their ad here. At Alukai, we handcraft Hawaiian-inspired footwear, finding inspiration in Hawaiian culture and craftsmanship. Fishing is at the heart of Hawaiian culture today, just as it has been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines and sandy beaches. They spear fish, throw nets, fly fish, and navigate their boats beyond the reef and into deep blue in search of the next big catch. No matter how they do it, there is an attention to detail and respect for the ocean that guides their passion. At Alukai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals built for every type of marine environment. Alukai's water-friendly Nohea Moku slip-on shoe features razor spring with non-marking rubber for extra grip on the deck, dock, or rocks and designed for easy on-off barefoot wear. The heel has like, it falls in when you put your foot in it's designed to pull out, so you don't have to untie your shoes at all, which I which I love, um, and they're comfortable, which is also important. Uh, and when it comes to sandals that perform, Alukai's new Ulele provides the comfort and durability of sneaker for those long days on the boat or on the shore. And these are flip flops, and they float, which <laughs> in the fishing industry is a shocking amount of things that don't float. So it's nice to have shoes that. It makes me insane. Anyway, uh, I, the shoes are great. I'm actually super excited about them. They sent my wife and I both. Uh, a set of shoes to wear. It's still 35 degrees out here in New Hampshire. It's still icy everywhere, so I haven't tested it out in the wild yet. But as soon as the the lakes get liquidy, I'm going to put them on and take them out. But they, but I like them a lot. And more importantly, my wife likes them, which means I get to keep making a podcast because she got shoes. So thank you, Alukai. And you can go to olukai.com slash fishnerds and you can check out those shoes. And just, just clicking through on our show notes to the page shows support for the product. So if you like us, go support the people who support us. O-L-U-K-I.com slash fish nerds and check out some really cool shoes from Hawaiian, from Hawaii, which are exciting. Um, it's important to us that you do that. Right. Well, what I've been up to has um, been quite busy over the last 18 months. And um what I'll do is I'll start with our nationally recognised award-winning reservoir projects. Ooh. We were Wreckfish SA, um, which I was recently a board member of, and the stocking manager for the northern areas. Um, we went about a stocking since 2016. We've been stocking the um, some of the local reservoirs, which have only just been opened up to public use. So in the last four years, we've put tens and tens of thousands of native fish into these reservoirs. And What um, what kind of native fish are we talking about? The mighty Murray cod, of course. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Everyone's dream fish, goo-doo dreaming, my friend. People just absolutely love this fish. It's iconic. It's almost spiritual. They are such a magnificent fish. Um, Golden perch, Mm. silver perch, uh, rainbow and brown trout. 
So they're the they're the main stocking fish. And rainbow and, and brown uh, are not natives, though. Brown is from no, Germany. No. Rainbows are United States, North America. Yep. Yep. But um, no, they seem to um, – trout seem to fall under that radar, don't they? I mean, you hear people say, you know, why would you be stocking non-natives and da-da-da-da, but when you do trout, everyone's like, yay. Yeah. It, it, they just seem to be – they've been on the um, – in the environment for such a long time. I think they're accepted. Um, well, it's also like the trout have this kind of uh, allure to them that we've made it like a, yes. like a folk hero worldwide. Yes. You know, yes. they, we have we, we give extra value to to trout. You know, we have up here in, in New Hampshire, where I live in the United States, brown trout are obviously invasive, <laughs> and yeah. rainbows are too. They're starting to reproduce in the wild. I have people who are hardcore Native Fish Coalition members making yeah. a living fishing for brown trout and supporting that fishery, and yes, yeah. because they that, that it's a trout. But if it was a largemouth bass. They come out of their skin, so it's, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's a little bit of hypocrisy when it gets to trout, but um, at the end of the day, they are a much loved fish worldwide and um, very much part of the environment nowadays. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of just accept it. They're yeah. here. Do they reproduce um, in your waters down there, like on their own, or do you have to stock? Oh, uh, look, sometimes they do. It has. There has like with trout generally, you need that. Um, say rainbow trout, you need the small, pebbly, rocky, um, fast-flowing sort of inflows, mm-hmm. and they head up there and they lay their eggs in that. Brown trout tend to head upstream, mm-hmm. which is not good in Australia because the further upstream you head, the drier the country gets. Bad so they tend to run themselves into um, trouble. But rainbows tend to head downstream, tend to head towards the sea, being salmonoids. And... Um, yeah, so um, yes, we do have a, a couple of local rivers here that are stocked and um, they do breed in them. Not so much in the lakes and the reservoirs. We don't have enough inflow. Um, we just, you know, dry state, driest continent in the world, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, we, we struggle in that scenario, but um, generally they breed in the rivers pretty well. Right. And fun fact about Australia, given it has the most deadly animals per capita, the trout there are also venomous. So people don't realize that. You have the uh, only <laughs> venomous trout in the world. Okay. That's news to me, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've been stocking these fish, winning awards. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, we stocked all these reservoirs in the mid-north of South Australia and in the Barossa Valley, where, where I'm from. So mid-north of South Australia is pretty much desert country and a beautiful countryside, though. Don't don't let that bloody um, uh, cloud your uh, opinion <laughs> of it. Um, but And um, these fish are growing, and they are growing quick, and people are catching them now, and... Um, and like I said, we were recognised nationally at a um, national awards thing in the Apple Isle of Tasmania and um, and won. So um, we were absolutely stoked to win a national, not little old South Australia leading the way with stocking of the reservoirs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, oh, look, it was just a fantastic result. And, um, you know, I, I played a small part in it. 
But um, all the work was done in the years leading up to it by um, my colleagues, Danny Simpson and Ian Fitzgerald and David Chiravolo and a few others that have um, just done such an outstanding job over such a long time. And, man, did they put up with some crap. I mean, the the amount of people that were against this was – was mind blowing and and with no real reason at all, just all political stuff. You know, it's not us doing it, so we don't want anything to do with it. That sort of scenario. Well, you also um, have people who just seem to make it their hobby to be against everything. And oh well, it, in the end, these a small vocal minority actually got us shut down after forty five years of doing a great job. Um, the government. The new government came in and um, seen us as opposition government stooges or whatever and took our funding off of us and now we are a totally um, just a volunteer organisation trying to do the best we can, um, you know, without funding, without help from the government, um, and uh, which was a real pity. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it hurt. It hurt to have it all pulled out from under us. So, um, yeah, that's that's painful, and and so many people benefit from the work you do, and not to mention the fish. So that's hard. Yeah, yeah. Look, we um, we're popular. You know, our organisation is very, very popular, um, and does a great job. And um, and to see it just get you know undermined by a, a certain minority of very vocal, very negative. Elder gentleman, to be honest, too, um, was just you know, mind blowing. And then to see the government of the day take their side was even more horrific for us to um, to just sit back and watch it all happen. After, like I said, 40, 45 years or something, they've been running. Heartbreak. A, um, yeah, it is. It was. It was horror, horrific. But anyway, we won the award. They didn't. So. Yeah, suck and, on that um, yeah yeah so um, and uh, yeah that was mentioned and um yeah so <laughs> onwards and upwards you know we, we're going nowhere um we might be now just totally voluntary but um we're going nowhere so um we'll, good well, well you've, la- here for the, you've laid the groundwork for so many years you must have a huge crew who wants to keep you around so that'll help of course there is of course yeah. there is but um you know once politics gets involved in fishing um yeah you know it, it, it gets involved a shocking amount of times <laughs> yeah it does doesn't it and it's what what happened was all of a sudden they realized geez these blokes are actually kicking a few goals um they're getting a few you know they're getting a lot of positive stuff coming through the media and that um we want to be part of it so we'll just take it over so um yeah it was crazy but anyway that's done so, um, yeah, so we stocked the resis with tens and tens and thousands of native fish. They're all being caught now. I caught a cod the other day. and So I've done full circle. I've gone from growing the fish at college to releasing the fish to making lures to catch the fish to catching the fish. I've done full circle. You My job's it. done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. So, yeah. um, I was so proud the day. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I shed a tear. And um, it was just an absolutely fantastic experience to catch a fish that quite possibly I grew and fed at college. You were his dad. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, you know, mainly catch and release. We, um, we totally uh, support that and um, encourage that. You know, they're allowed to take a couple, but we, you know, we don't frown upon it. But, you know, at the end of the day, if everyone keeps taking a couple, there won't be many there. So, um, yes. Yeah. Well, good. And um, what, else, what else you got there? You know? Yeah. Well, well, we've done a bit of habitat enhancement. So through a, a mob called Ozfish Unlimited Australia, we um, the other day put some terracotta pots in, the big terracotta <laughs> Plant pots. Yeah. Um, and EPA, the um, Environmental Protection Agency, gave us the blessing. SA Water, thankfully, they helped us. They're a fantastic mob to work with. And um, so we popped a few pots in and um, came back oh, about two or three weeks later and we popped a sounder on and we rode over these pops and the fish are aggregating around these pops already. So tell me, so, wait, wait, slow down a little bit. So you, you, you grab these terracotta pots, these big pots. And you put them into the – where do you put them? In the water, like reservoir? In the or reservoir, river? yep, 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 in the reservoir, yep. And their, go- their job is to create habitat for fishes. Yes, it's mainly for – so cod like um, hollow logs to lay their eggs in and stuff like that. So a lot of people put concrete pipes in and that, but we found that concrete was a listed pollutant. Yeah, it leaches into the – yeah. Terracotta is a natural product, and there was no listing, and there was no issues with it. And um, and we're just hoping. We're not saying the fish are going to breed in these reservoirs, but you know, if you get a summer storms or stuff like that, and you do get inflow, one thing I've learnt with fish is never say never. They find a way. So if we can put, if we can facilitate them. Um, with some pots and some habitat, we will. If they use them to live in, that's all good. But if they use them to breed in, well, that's even better. So, um, yeah. How big are these pots? Like, I'm trying to visualize this. So, um, probably four foot high, probably a couple of foot round, something like that. So, these aren't your typical pot. tiny garden pots. These no, are really no, they big, were expensive. kindly donated by a, um, a potter, mm-hmm. um, a uh, clay pottery mob in McGill, um, Bennett's Pottery. John Bennett kindly donated them to Rec Fish South Australia and then they um, engaged us out here at Barossa Ozfish Chapter and we facilitated the um, placing of the pots. And yep. not, how, not many, about. how many did you break on the way there? Yeah. Well, we broke none. <laughs> okay. Because um, I break terracotta pods every time I touch them. We, my wife has them. Yes, they are. I touch them and they fall apart. I can't deal with them. We, we were a little concerned about tipping them over the side of the boat, how <laughs> how they would go down. Um, but they seem to be intact. Like I said, the sounders nowadays are brilliant. Um, a lad like I said the other day, floated over the top of them, sounded them up for us. They seem to be in, um, not in pieces at least. Well, good. And um, <laughs> like I said, the fish were just starting to aggregate around them as we speak. So what's happening is there's not a great deal of habitat in a couple of these reservoirs. Um, they're just big empty basins. So um, the fish are now four years old. 
some of them are from the first release, and they're not cohabitating quite as well as they do as younger fish. So we're starting to find them squabbling, and any structure there is, they're, they're hanging around in quite large numbers, which, of course, doesn't go unnoticed by the fishermen. Mm. So they're getting a fair bit of pressure in certain spots of the reservoir because that's where they're aggregating. So um, if we can put some more habitat in and get the fish to move around and live in different areas and not be sort of so localised in one spot, um, that's going to, you know, obviously ease the pressure on them from the fishermen. Because fishermen, they don't take any prisoners. If they work out where the fish are, that's where they go. And uh, that's fishing. Right. Are you any different? <laughs> I have to admit I have probably trolled this one area <laughs> a little bit. But I, I will be honest, I did troll it, caught a cod there, then caught a few callop there, then started to notice these big blue rocks were popping up in the background of quite a few photos. So now I've moved over to the other side of the resi and doing all right over there. So um, yeah, you've, you've got to be uh, – yeah. You've got to be mindful of these things, um, otherwise you're just literally shitting in your own nest. I mean, yeah, you have six months of crackerjack fishing and then you might have three years where they just do not acknowledge a lure at all. And that's another thing with lure fishing. Um, these fish are young fish. They've seen bugger all lures. So um, I'm actually catching Murray Cod on inline spinners. I'm catching um, quite large Callop or uh, golden perch on inline spinners. So your normal spinner that you use to catch a trout or a ready on, we're catching you know the number one apex predator on them. They haven't seen too many lures, so they haven't learnt to what to avoid and what not to avoid. So fishing's pretty good at the moment. This will change. Right. Fish so catch on pretty quick. Your job is to teach the the fish about lures. Yes. <laughs> you're just doing well, your duty. Just, yeah, that's it. I'd be derelict in my duty if I didn't. But I um, I will say one thing. Fish strike at lures for two reasons. One's out of a compulsive instinct. So say um, like spinner baits mm-hmm. that you use for bass fishing. What in nature does that replicate? Nothing. Nothing. By, by the way, I've never caught a fish on one of those. I hate them. No, oh, they they work right. Don't worry about that. They um, I just never. I don't know how to catch them. I don't know. I can't do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I'm not a big user. I only use what I make. So, yeah. and I don't make them. So, um, I don't use them. But um, they do work very well over here. Now, they are triggering an instinctive, impulsive strike. Right. Whether it's the flutter or the or the shimmy or the pulsing of the of the skirt or whatever. And then the other way of fishing with lures is to actually trick the fish into thinking it is a, an actual fish or it is a natural edible um, prey. Right, that's so um, there's two different ways. We're either triggering an instinct or we're tricking the fish into thinking that it is an actual another fish mm-hmm. so um yeah so uh like so i'm gonna said, get I've your been, i want to get your opinion so you've never okay. been you've never come ice fishing right no i would so love to. my dream is to get you ice fishing someday mm-hmm. i would love it so much now we sit on this lake every winter that, that we talk about all the time that we don't catch any fish on it got in the silver lake yeah it made it into australia news last week 
We were yes. in the worldwide edition of New York Times with this lake. So yes. it was published in Australia, 162 countries that it made it to. That's awesome, man. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Ridiculous. And so we sit in that lake jigging and we have sonar so you can see the fish. And we're reeling our, our, our lures and the fish are chasing them all the way from 60 feet down the lake straight up to the almost to where you're sitting on yep. top of the ice. So straight yep. up and you're reeling as fast as you can and the fish are rocketing up from the bottom and they stop and they just stare yep. at your, they stare at your lure or your bait or whatever. What are we doing wrong? Well, what I'll probably suggest is that <laughs> at 60 feet down, um, the visual side of things probably isn't that good. True. So they're not getting a visual. So they're chasing the vibration, the pulse, the, mm-hmm. um, the water being disturbed, whatever. Then they're getting up to where the light is good and they're getting an eye full of it and they're going, like, so they can swim. So the fish with biggest, the fish with biggest eyes tend to be very fussy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that they're getting close to your lure, sunlight hits it, oh, hang on, there's something not quite right about this and they're turning away. But they do That's it, all they, and they don't learn that they do it over and over. Like one yep. fish will keep you busy for four or five hours. Yeah, <laughs> you just can't. Yeah, catch. well, um, and I would say that's a visual thing. So they're gaining, gaining, gaining sixty feet, fifty feet, bit more sunlight, and then they sort of get a slight visual, mm. and then they get to twenty feet, and then they sort of can pick up a color or two, and then they get to ten, five feet close right in, open their mouth and go, oh, hang on. <laughs> That's not great. what I thought it was. Yeah, but they do it, that. but they're doing it with no matter what lure we use. And they're even doing it when we don't bring up that high. We'll bring them, we'll jig down between 10 feet off the bottom and 20 feet mm. and they'll chase it up and down for hours. The same lures. Yeah. Doesn't, and, and they don't care what we use. They just hate, they hate My it. next thing would be, mate, perhaps use Shamo's lures. Uh, well, I yeah. would probably change the size of my lure. Yeah, smaller, um, bigger. Something, yeah, bigger. Go big. Always go bigger. Oh, I go the um, other way. <laughs> and go bigger and bigger and bigger, and see if you can't entice um, some of the bigger fish down there, which are a little more aggressive. See, the little fish beat the bigger fish to the lure all the time. They mm-hmm. swim faster, quicker off mark, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'll get there in numbers. Now, this can work in your favour because you'll have half a dozen little farts hanging around your lure and quite often we find with the inline cameras there'll be quite a few big fish just hanging off of the back of that (laughs) and um, so if you could put a bigger lure on the little fish will be either intimidated by it and move away from it or the big fish will come in and scoop the whole lot of them up and the lure as well we find over here cheese People fishing with cheese, oh. catching these enormous fish, enormous cod on cheese. Really? I like, think it's what, wait, what kind I think of it's un Australian. I really do. I, I hate it. But it <laughs> is a very, very um, good way to fish for Murray cod. If you're a bait fisherman, they use cheese. Now wait, wait, what kind of cheese? Well, this is the well, you know, I don't know, a bit, bit of goudam or a bit of this or that. <laughs> I don't know. Cheese is cheese. I just, um, so what they're doing, the general um, consensus is that cod aren't necessarily cheese fanatics. Well, what they, happens don't, they, they is, don't find cheese in nature. <laughs> no, it's a 
a ball of bait hanging around the cheese, mm-hmm. and they come in and scoop the whole lot up. Oh, so all these little tiny fish are picking at the cheese, yes. and they yes. come in and go, look at all those little fish. Yes. Right. So that all going on about, and we're talking, you know, meter plus fish, hundred pounders, all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff get caught on cheese. Um, I was at the Cod Classic a couple of years ago, and um, the winner of the comp was this huge, big, tattooed, tough-looking fella in the crowd, and uh, the um, Tony Bennett, the host, called him up, come up here on stage and tell us about your big capture, and he goes, right, oh mate, what did you? Uh, what did you catch it on? Where were you? Were you bait? Were you lures? Were you this? And this guy grabbed the microphone and in this booming deep voice, he goes, cheese. Cheese. And that was it. That's it, cheese. And everyone just started laughing and everything. And I stood up and screamed out that that's un-Australian and wah, 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 and we capped on. But to be honest, cheese is a very good bait for freshwater fish. I've never tried it, but uh, you know what – I'm going to give it a go. Get your chucks cloth out, like a, you know, chucks cloth, cleaning cloths. Yeah, yeah. Perforated cloth. Lie that in your microwave. Put a layer of cheese over that cloth, hit the microwave, melt that cheese into that cloth, and then cut them strips up, and that's how you hold it on your hook. Really? Yeah. Oh, they'll never steal it. Nah. Nah, cheese is broken off the hook pretty easily. So, um, if you can uh, amalgamate it or um, uh, what am I trying to say, uh, imperviate uh, the um, chucks cloth with the cheese, it stays on. I mean, you can tie it on, you can thread it on, you can whatever. So, um, yeah, there you go. A tip from down under. Well, I'm going to try it because you know, I, I got a feeling I'm going to need to turn my cheese into fish soon. So, I'm in. Yes, yes, you'd be surprised how many fish go for cheese. I don't know, and in states, but over here, I mean, cod love it. They just absolutely love it. And I can, I can totally see catfish getting all over that. Oh, look, any of them um, bigger mouthed, hang around the bottom, scoop it all up in one big sort of um, ram feeders, or um, <laughs> they, they love it. They just swim up and a big scoop, and down she goes, boom. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm in. Okay. Maybe we'll do the cheese fishing challenge or something. We'll have. To I reckon you should. With a way I to use that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't fish with bait. I haven't fished with bait in years. In years, I only use my lures. So. Well, and they and they work. I find and bait fishing tediously boring. I really do. I find waiting for fish to be boring. Yeah. So, yeah. If well, I'm bait, bait if, if, if I'm bait fishing, it's usually I'm actively fishing, and I might be tipping a lure with a piece of. Yep. Or something to give it yeah. some stink, but sitting and yeah. waiting, like like floating a um, bait under a bobber, yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, so, it's terrible. <laughs> now nah, bobbing your bait, that's all good. Right, eh? So we've had some um, pretty uh, horrendous things happening over here. You may have read the um, bushfires, the fish kills, the drought, etc., etc. These have all had um, fairly detrimental effects on fish stocks. In the lower Murray-Darlin Basin, um, we had over a million fish die last year through um, just through algal blooms. So what happened was we're praying for rain in the desert to get these rivers flowing, but that first big rain they got caused a um, proliferation of phytoplankton, 
blue-green algae event and um, wiped out up to a million native fish in quite oh a small God. section of the river. Um, this was catastrophic, absolutely um, has made recruitment downstream non-existent for the next few years. Um, thankfully, the river is flowing as we speak now. This is the Darling River. Mm -hmm. So we're talking Menindee Lakes and we're right in the desert country of Australia. I mean, it is dry and hot. And, um, yeah, so um, a million fish died there last year. Um, we're desperately trying to um, stop that from happening again. Um, there's been stocking programs. There's been huge aerators put into the rivers to just keep what fish are alive oxygenated. Um, these blue, uh, these algal blooms deoxygenate the water, and um, they, it's just a death sentence for them. It really is. It's um, I mean, you guys dealt with so much with those fires down there. I was worried about you too. I was. I was yeah. really concerned. I said a few messages going, are you still with me, you know? And I was glad that you were spared from all that. But I, I read about oh, I mean, had, billions of animals had, died. Oh, we had over, they estimate a billion animals got roasted. Um, Kangaroo Island, which is in South Australia, which is the um, a pristine wilderness island off the coast of um, Adelaide, um, down south there, um, they had, two thirds of the island um wiped out mm. like i mean properly burnt to a cinder nothing That's so and gross. um and and of course the tourism is all they live on mm -hmm. so um there was a big campaign saying well let's book them out there's still plenty to see over there get over there um, have a holiday, um, spend some money, and um, see if we can't bring Kangaroo Island back, you know, back on onto line, sort of thing. But now with coronavirus, you know, I, I really fear for them over there at the moment, uh, financially, and their mindset. But um, the other states, oh, they they really copped it. Victoria, New South Wales, oh, you would have seen the footage of the. Um, people in Victoria all lined up on the beaches getting evacuated by the Navy and stuff like that. There was nowhere to go. Everything was on fire. The oh whole my God. Oh, the, the aerial views of the fire fronts were heartbreaking and mind blowing. They were just you've got no and remembering how big our country is, you know, some of these fire fronts went from one state to another. Now that's, you know, bigger than a lot of countries in Europe. Oh, sure. These were massive, massive fires, and um, and of course they had a detrimental effect on quite a few of the river systems, and um, and which we are now, you know, just dealing with as we speak. So um, it's going to be yeah, years before you guys are are whole again. It's a long, slow recovery. You know, you'd be surprised at how quick. Um, our bush recovers from fire. Mm -hmm. The only issue was the fire was so big and so hot, it actually burnt places that had never been burnt. So rainforests and stuff, mm -hmm. they're not used to fires, but these are the eucalypt forests and that. Well, they live and breathe fires. That's that's all part and parcel of their ecology. But um, unfortunately, these fires were so big and so hot that, um, you know, that that is going to be... A, an ongoing concern it really is um but a lot of regeneration over in kangaroo island already um you know these black stumps with 
these super ultra green little leaves sticking out of them. The contrast between the black ash and stump and these um, leaves is beautiful. But, um, you know, it was horrendous. And we're not touching on the loss of life as well. You know, quite a few um, people lost their lives. Um, It was just horrible, Clay. It really was, and it. Yeah, it's, it it was hard to watch day after day after day. And you must just, have felt you must have felt helpless most of the time. Like what, what can and you do? scared and frightened. Yeah. You know, you yeah. just we had so many little fires pop up in our area, and we live in quite a densely wooded area, as you you do yourself. And um, it's in the back of your mind constantly. You mm-hmm. know, geez, I hope one doesn't start here today. And then you'd hear a siren, and then you see the planes <laughs> fly over, and you're just on. We were on edge the whole time. It actually really started to affect me. I was so so sick of turning the TV on and just seeing, you know, thousands, well, millions and millions of hectares went up in smoke. They really did. So, yeah, look, that wasn't much fun, um, but we've come through that. Australia is a, um, a fairly resolute place. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we are used to this sort of stuff, but um, this one was, you know, a bit bigger than your normal fire for us. Mm. Yeah, it's more than more than most people are equipped to deal with. But you guys are hardy. Oh, you <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna yeah, recover. They're a tough breed over here. I mean, the ones that live in the bush. Oh my God, they really, really do it tough. And yet they got a smile on their face more often than not, and they just push on. And you just think, wow, you know, more credit to them and more power to them. Well, that smile on their face and that positive attitude is probably what gets them through those things. You yeah, know, of course. I always, I always think if you're a negative thinker, you don't go out in the woods, you don't go out fishing, you don't, you don't take those kind of risks because you're gonna, you're, you're gonna think you're gonna fail. So those yeah, are things for people cool. who think positively. So, a, a term my wife. Um, was banding around there for a while is don't be a stinker thinker. <laughs> I think you got it off of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't do that. Don't be a stinker thinker, people. All right, stay positive out there. It's all about it, and you know. And now more than ever, we need to remember that. Like, we're going to yeah. be okay. Humans are good at this. We can handle this. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else we're missing? Oh, look, I've got a bit here. Um, we went to the Cod Classic again this year with the, the old Captain Spiro. He's going along all right still. Um, he kicked I, my I, By the way, year. by the way, that's I have to get to Australia one day, and i got to meet Captain Spiro. Oh, he's a legend. He's like a folk he's, hero he's, to me. I don't know him, but I want to meet him. <laughs> he's the most patient man. God put on this earth. I give you the big tip. We get snagged or tangled away. He just sits there quietly, never loses his shit. He'll unpick it. He'll unwind it. We'll get the. We lose bugger all lures. We very <laughs> rarely lose a lure. Um, he's uh, designed a fantastic lure retriever that. Um, as far as lure makers go, is probably not real popular because no one loses any. But um, God, they work well, and we're very proud of that. But uh, where we fished in the Cod Classic this year, he gave me a hide, and he probably caught I don't know 10, 10 fish. I caught about three or four or something. But we caught all our fish the day before the comp and the day after the comp. How'd you be? Yeah. But um, 
we went fishing on the Monday after the competition and um, all the smoke from the bushfires came over the lake. It was so eerie. And um, we were catching fish and everything, but it was so – I think I sent you a photo of us over you there. You did, yeah. The smoke was so thick and pungent and, of course, I can't smell anything and everyone was gasping and coughing and carrying on. And I said to the bloke, I said, Jesus Christ, you know, this smoke's a bit out of control. And he goes, well, there's two million acres uh, – it's two million hectares on fire, mate. And I thought, <laughs> two million hectares? And I thought, that must be a mistake. And I went and checked up. No, he was underestimating by quite a bit. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, nah, look, uh, I thoroughly recommend any of you over there, if you want to come to Australia, go to Yarrawonga. It's in Victoria. Um, it's on the banks of the Lake Mawala, which is just the most pristine, gorgeous lake. Um, it's a man-made one. It's a flooded eucalypt forest. Um, all the dead big river river red gum trees are all through it, uh, standing upright, and all the cockies sort of, uh, all the parrots and the cockatoos and that all nest in these huge big logs that's standing out of the water and the cod all live under the water. Oh, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful place. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend if anyone ever gets to come over here that you go in and go to Mawala or Yarrawonga. There's two towns either side of the lake and a bridge connecting them. And, um, yeah, it is just a, a sublime, beautiful place and it, a bucket list thing is to be on the lake at sunset. It is absolutely stunning. I, I can and only imagine. The fish. Oh, there's so <laughs> many big fish in there. And, um, you know, you have every chance of catching a fish, you know, three or four foot long, 80 to 100 pound. So, um, yeah. Oh. Maybe one of these days I'll get down there. With the show growing the way it's growing, I'm starting to sell ad space on the podcast now. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe the money will come. Maybe the Patreon subscribers will give me enough money to get down there one day. But my oh, kids look, my, my kids want to hang out with your kids. We want yes. to do the things. So well, We've watched our kids grow up together, haven't we, really, we Clay? Have. I mean, I can remember when the um, yeah, eldest girl. Zoe, yeah. Um, Zoe um, caught a red fin the same oh, – oh, within minutes of the same time Reesey caught one yes. and we put the photos up together and we said, oh, we were doing that today as well. And we both had our pictures of our daughters standing there holding a red fin within hours of each other from yep. the other side of the world. And that's just fantastic. It really is. And, well, and, uh, and Zoe has thrown your lures, I mean, to catch them too. So, yes. it's, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, it's it really is. And Reese is – quite a good fisher person now she does all right she outfishes quite a few of my mates and well, um not telling them either that's how zoe is she'll outfish anybody and her yeah. I, she and i were talking um you know we i know i guide on a boat all summer she's my first mate and uh, she says dad you know when i'm 18 i'm getting my guide license and i'm gonna make a lot more money than you <laughs> and i said i said well how do you figure she goes well i'm gonna i'm gonna go fly fishing and I'm going to be a really good-looking blonde fly fishing guide who's competent. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "You know, you're not wrong. Uh, you're not wrong. Yeah, you get right. it. Dad, Dad will be going along too. I'd, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sort of Reese is reasonably an attractive little girl nowadays too, and just starting to get that type of uh, attitude about her as well. But we we had people drive for hours to come fishing with Chamo and come redfinning with Chamo, and they drive all the way from down south. Mm -hmm. And uh, Reese would be like, you know, 17, 20. I think the last time she was 17 nil. 
Yep. And this guy was getting the shits up big time. And, he, and of course, Reese had sidled up along and said, oh, you're not very good at it, are you? That's how so. Oh, yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, you're doing this wrong and that wrong. You see him getting darker and darker on her. And I said, oh, yeah. God, he's going to say something here in a minute. And uh, he ended up packing up. And all oh, thanks for the day. And, and, and we gave him a lure or two. I felt mm-hmm. sorry for him. But, um, yeah. oh, he didn't. We've had. I think ladies actually naturally are better fishermen. They've got a better touch. They've got a better touch. When when I'm on the ice with clients, like it was like two years ago, I first started ice guiding on the ice fishing, and I I bring Zoe with me, and she'd be trying to tell the like 17 year old boys how to ice fish, and she was uh, like nine at the time, and she would come to me and she goes, "Dad, they're not listening to me," and I said, "Here's what you do: you go up next to them." And you don't talk to them and you fish right next to them and you start putting fish on top of the ice. You put two fish on the ice, they're going to start listening to you. And that's, yeah. what she, that's what she started doing. And all of a sudden she yeah. earned this level of respect. Yes. Because, because unfortunately we still live in a sexist world. They see a nine-year-old girl. How yes. is she going to show me how to catch fish when exactly. she's what the best she? one out there? Right. And then she kicks their ass, which is great. <laughs> Well, about two or three weeks ago, um, Reese and I went to a stocked waterway that we'd done oh, years ago, and I'd given up on it. I'd just never seen them, and I thought, oh, well, it didn't work. And we went, oh, probably for two weeks straight, and uh, Reese caught herself two Murray cod, two massive silver perch would nearly pulled her in the water and a couple of big reddies. And I thought to myself, geez, what most blokes would have cut their arm off for that mm-hmm. opportunity, you know, and uh, we were surface fishing for the cod with this little mouse thing I made and um, they were belting it on the surface. And, of course, you, it's deadly silent because you're fishing on the surface Then all of a sudden you get this bloody woof and it, oh, we'd all jump and yell, laugh and carry on. Oh, it was such a brilliant day. It really was. But um, like I said, there's plenty of blokes out there that have never caught a cod. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm saying, well, you know, Reese has caught a couple, caught a couple in three casts and got them in herself. So, um, you know, like I said, the ladies do tend to fish uh, a different way. I think the way they hold the rod, the way they hold the line, the way they strike, everything, it's like you said, a little more delicate. And, um, and I don't know, but do we pass our inhibitions through the line down to the fish? I don't know about One, that. Uh, I, I, who knows? <laughs> you know, yeah, are, we, that, uh, yeah. do, are we sending a signal through the fishing line and um, not knowing it? Don't know. Well, so the fish maybe feel our aggression or testosterone or something. Who knows? This is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I'm positive that ladies have that. My wife's the same. Lisa, she'll yeah. sit there on the end of a houseboat and just pull them in one after another. And old mate that we went with, he's around the corner with his boys going, don't, don't do what she does. <laughs> She's got 10 fish. They got none. Mm. And but he still was adamant that she had no idea and no, no, listen to her and all of this rubbish. And I could hear him saying it, and I'm just like, Lisa's just pulling them in one after, and they weren't small fish either. And you just think, yeah, like you said, chauvinism is a uh, strong, it's alive and well, strong force, it's alive, alive and well, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Look, look, we're running out of time. <laughs> oh, okay, been going I on. 
got let's one get, more topic. Let's we do might it. leave that for next time. Oh, right, yeah, let's, run let's, through it, you reckon? Let's, let's run it, and then, then we're going to be all done. All right. All right. Well, this is going back on to um, the dead fish thing, but um, at the moment, um, Ozfish Unlimited had put a post up recently um, quoting a few facts and figures saying that up to 12,000 fish a day can be extracted just out of New South Wales alone through their pumps, irrigation pumps. Now, some of these pumps are eight inch in diameter. Um, wait, wait. 4, so 000. these pumps are sitting in. Reservoir. In, in, yeah, no, no, in the rivers. In the river, and they're is, pumping water onto the farm fields for irrigate, farmers. Yeah, irrigation. So okay. Ridiculously, um, the desert areas of Australia are growing rice and cotton and stuff like this in the middle of the desert, and they rely wholly and solely on pumping water from these rivers, the Murray and the Murray Darling, et cetera, et cetera. Now they're water. on the that's a lot of water. So let's let's have a look at four thousand pumps. In one state, pulling out twelve up to twelve thousand fish a day, they reckon. You do the maths. They're saying that up to uh, where is it here? Oh, wait. So could wait, be wait, 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 hundreds wait, wait, wait. of millions of fish a year. They're saying. So they're wait, these the, these fish are getting pumped into the hoses. Yep, and right dying. Out, and are they getting out of the hoses? Or are they like getting logged no, 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 up the works? Yes, exactly. The turbulence is too strong and fish will only live in a certain amount of turbulation and most water pumps and um, uh, piping and that is higher than that level. So most fish, a few get through, most die. Now, we've noticed that um, the pumps take no prisoners either, Clay. They're, they're taking um, from egg to free-swimming embryos to adult fish to fish um, and they're all getting sucked in and they're all getting killed. Now, um, we believe that America has legislation in some states over there where, they're screen, where they screen, screen their pipes that and pumping. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so obviously we're hoping that that comes in over here because, you know, the reality is hundreds of millions of fish die annually from irrigation pumping. Well, it's funny. You would think you wouldn't need legislation. For that, you no. think it's it's a cheap like putting a screen over a pipe is cheap, yep. and it must save your machine. Like, of course, like, that like was pumping crap point. into your machine can't be good for your machine. Yep. I don't understand. No. And 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 the cockies or the farmers, we call them cockies, um, they won't have to worry about unblocking pipes or sprinkler heads, etc. It's all been filtered further down the track. So, um, yeah, look, I just really think that um, you know Australia probably needs to follow America's lead. On some things, not all, not all. some things, <laughs> and this <laughs> and this would be one of them. I would suggest. I think it's a good idea. I mean, it seems so obvious, so so dumb, <laughs> so dumb, ridiculous. All yeah, right, so that's about all I've got for you today. Well, look, I'm I'm thinking that we need to get you on a little more regular. It's been a long time, yes. uh, and we need to get get reconnected and build up. Uh, the, the loop chammer world here to get <laughs> get you yeah, back. No, in I would be, I'd be absolutely stoked to come on a bit more regular. Um, it's been my fault. Um, I've been crook, as I explained to you earlier privately. But um, yeah, I'm sort of you know not working now, so I've got plenty of time and um, devoting oodles of my time to lures, fishing, and all things fish. Well, that's good. I'm actually gonna. I want to send you some of John King's lures. 
so you can test them out and be fun to see. Okay. Be well, fun we to might see. do a vi- we'll do a vice versa. I'll send some over. He sends some to me, and we'll have a fish off. Perfect. He'll he'll contact you then. You can work that out. But I, I'm sure he'd love to throw your lures. I know that you would. I mean, it'd be so fun to see you catch a ready on one of his uh, lures or something. It'd be totally fun. So let's make that oh, happen. Managed, managed to do that for you easy enough, old mate. All right, let's make that happen. All right, Luke, I got to go. Where can people find you? Come on to Chamo's Lures on Facebook or Luke Chamming's on Instagram. And um, like I said, jump on the page, have something to say, have a whinge, have a bitch, have a moan, give us some some um, advice, whatever. Our page is open for all. And, um, yeah, we'd love to see you on the page. And um, if you want a lure, we can organise that for you as well. Um, but, yeah, get into it, as I say. Get into it. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. No worries, Clay. And um, just thanks heaps for having us on again. And um, all the best to all the listeners out there. And, um, yeah, you all take it easy out there in fish nerd world. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing big fat thanks to luke uh, chamings from shamos allures you could find uh, links in the show notes he has a facebook page where you can find everything from shamos lures thanks to wally pleasant for our theme music and thank you guys for listening uh, it really matters to me that people are listening to this show i know it's hard times out there but we're going to do this get through this together be well and uh, until next time follow the code of the fish nerd spawn early spawn often Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every when chance you get. In a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the hell of it. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast.